Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we come to you tonight, we are joyous. We are filled with awe of your greatness. Father, we just stand amazed at what we have because of what Jesus has done. So we sing, we rejoice, we worship, we praise. You deserve it all. And so, Father, as we go into this lesson today, may we really take a look at these passages of Scripture a little different than what we normally do. But, Father, it's very clear that there are lessons you are always ready to teach us. May we dare open up our minds, our hearts to let your spirit, maybe even challenge us to look at something that we have known so well and for so long and looked at it our particular way, that we have an opening in our soul to be able to say, you know, Holy Spirit, if there's another angle, if there's another way you want us to see your word, Father, may we be open to let you do that. Father, for those who are just having a difficult time right now, Father, you know who they are. You know what's going on. And so, Lord, it's just so easy to be able to say, do what you have to do. Because you know the situation. You know exactly how it's going to be answered. You know exactly what you're going to accomplish through it. And so, Father, tonight as we go into this lesson, Father, we thank you for your word we're so grateful that the word became flesh and that now we can even understand those Christmas words because we know the author of them. So, Father, tonight we are excited about what you're going to show us and we are ready for you to teach us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here we go. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. My prayer is that you get to believe that more and more and you understand it and you see it more and more all the time. So, yes, today is a little different lesson. Instead of one chapter that we go through line by line, I had you looking, looking up a, a bunch of scriptures. And so tonight um, we're going to hit every question practically in our, I hope you did your lessons, and uh, we're going to hit the questions tonight more than anything. So um, let's turn in our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 25. Now the first question, it says, as we begin this part of the study, because this is a transitional part between Daniel and Esther, even though... I think we've learned from Daniel that all of Scripture is not in chronological order. It's not necessarily in chronological order. In fact, the book of Esther precedes the book of Daniel, even though in chronological order, Esther came after. So just so that you kind of are aware of the time frame, that I decided to do Esther after Daniel for many reasons, but I just want you to know that Esther, the story of Esther, came into being after the king of the Persian Empire. The ruler of the Persian Empire said to the kingdom of Judah, because it had been 70 years, after 70 years, it was like a, a miracle that this pagan king would say to the kingdom of Judah, you can go back. You can go back home. It's kind of it's kind of funny, isn't it, to think that they probably thought they were being the big shot, and yet they were just, this was all part of God's plan and God's promise. 
that the people then would be able to go back to Jerusalem. But I think it's very important that, that we have this lesson between the two studies because I do think that we have a tendency to study the book of Esther. And, and I don't want to say the wrong way, but I think the Lord has different ways he wants us to look at this book and different reasons. So just bear with me tonight. And uh, I hope that I will prove my case through scripture that you will see that we need to open ourselves up and to hear what God is teaching us. So Jeremiah 25, verses 4 through 11. We will go through those line by line. In Jeremiah 25, it starts out in the first verse so that you know, that you understand that the word that came to Jeremiah we understand that a prophet is someone who hears from the Lord directly and then they are responsible to get the Lord's message to the people. So in the very first verse, it said the word came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah. Now, I wanna, I'm going to read it again and I'm going to read it slowly because I want you to catch that there is a three-letter word that is very important that you underline and that you understand. So the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah. Now, you'll understand that more as the lesson goes on, but I want you to kind of put that in your mind that this, that the word of the Lord came to all the people of Judah. You see, when Israel, when the kingdom of Judah, the Israelites, the kingdom of Judah went into exile, they went as a multitude of people. I think we underestimate. I think we think that when they went into exile, they all just kind of grouped together in one little town and there they sat. But remember, the kingdom of Judah was a lot of territory. It was a lot of people. It was, it was even nations within that kingdom. And so when Nebuchadnezzar took the kingdom of Judah exile, they were dispersed throughout the empire of Babylonia. Among the Babylon empire, there were many nations, and because there was a large group, they were dispersed to different nations. So the word of the Lord, this is before the exile, however. This is just kind of a reminder to us of what God said, why he said it, and the distinctness of, of, and the seriousness of what he was talking about. So, okay, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and concerning all the people. Okay, verse 4. And though the Lord has sent all of his servants, the prophets, to you again and again, very clear that the prophets were sent to the kingdom of Judah again and again. The prophets told the same message over and over. You have not listened or paid any attention. They said, this is what the prophet said, Turn now. The Lord says this. Listen to what the Lord's telling you. Turn now, each of you, from your evil ways, your evil practices, and you can stay in the land that the Lord gave you. 
and your father's forever and ever. I mean, there's the simplicity of God's message that we learn through Daniel, that we are seeing here, is that God hasn't changed the way he works. He's saying, you trust me, you listen to me, you obey me, I'm going to bless you. And if you don't, if you don't listen to me, if you don't pay attention, if you disobey, there are consequences. And so the prophets came again and again to tell them this message. And yet they did not listen. They did not pay attention. And they did not heed the word. And if they had, none of this exile business would have even happened. Do not, verse 6, do not. That's a clear command. Do not follow other gods to serve and to worship them. Do not. And, you know, yes, they served Baal and different, you know, actual gods. But it's still very relevant to us. Every, every now and then we need to check to see if our priorities have gotten a little messed up. If we aren't trusting something or someone more than our Lord. That we think we can't possibly live without that person or that thing. We've just monopolized. We've gotten ourselves so worked into that I can't live without something or someone that we have moved God off his authority and we've moved him off his throne in our life and we've put self there and we have worshipped other gods. A lot of times it's, it's money. I think we see that so in our world today. That money has just seemed to take over. It's like, it's like the prominent thing. It all has to do with the bottom line. It all has to do with the prophets and all this kind of thing. And we have, we've seen our world just get more and more greedy and more and more self-consumed. And so this is not a, a verse that we can just read quick and say, oh, that doesn't pertain to me because I don't have these little statues. Anytime someone or something replaces God, it says, do not, do not, do not provoke me to anger. Yes, we have a God that gets mad. He gets angry at that. When he says, do not provoke me to anger with what your hands have made. And I think it's so much more than literal, what our hands make. It means, it means self, what your hands have made, what you are trusting in and of yourself. And how easy it is to just let self take over. What our, what our hands have made. So then he says, then I will not harm you. If you would listen, if you would pay attention, it's very cut and, cut and dry. If you, if you follow me and me alone and not other gods, then I will let you stay here forever and ever. Verse 7, but you did not listen to me, declares the Lord, and you have provoked me with what your hands have made and you have brought harm to yourselves therefore the Lord Almighty says this very clear very easy to understand words Jeremiah says okay 
this is what the Lord Almighty is saying to you. Because you have not listened to my words. I, I underlined I will every time in the next verses. Because when God says I will, we what do we know? He will. So... I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord. I will. I'll summon the peoples of the north. I'll summon Nebuchadnezzar. I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them, make them an object of horror and scorn and everlasting ruin. You think, well, that's, a, that's quite severe. Can you just lessen it a little bit? No. Again and again, he had the prophets warn them and tell them, listen, pay attention, obey. And if you don't, this is what you can expect. I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of pride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. Look at verse 11. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So, I guess what does God undeniably, undeniably tell Jeremiah? Then he relates to the kingdom of Judah. I think it's very clear. Andy. He was point blank. You obey me. This is what I'll, I will do for you. You, But you didn't. So now I will. And after studying Daniel the way we did, it was so clear that he did. He summoned Nebuchadnezzar. He did bring them against the land. He, he brought Babylon to be against the land of the kingdom of Judah. He completely destroyed them and made them objects of horror and scorn. He banished them into a foreign land. And look at the whole country was in a desolate wasteland. And now they were to serve the kingdom of Babylon for 70 years. Those were the consequences now, in question two, when God spoke instructions in Jeremiah 29, 4 to 7, I just want to make sure when you see this in Jeremiah 29, he is going to send a letter. I'm going to go in the first verse of chapter 29 first so that you can see that there was a letter It said this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and look at that word, all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So that verse 2 is very important. This letter had to be sent because now, chapter 9, now they're all exiled and they're all distributed through the kingdom of Babylon. And so they're all in different nations. And yet this letter has got to be told to all the people. Somehow this letter 
got taken to all the people so that they could hear this. Because there was a group of people going around that were probably in the name of God Almighty, but yet they were just being used as a pawn of the enemy to say to the kingdom of Judah, ah, don't believe a word of it. 70 years, ah, no, this is going to be over before you know it. Oh, don't even think twice. It's so easy to have your ears want to hear that. It's so easy that our itching ears would much rather hear us, hear the message of, ah, he didn't mean it. He, he really isn't going to make you stay in this pagan empire and be distributed through the whole empire and divided throughout the whole empire for 70 years. Oh, God would never do that. I mean, it's the same kind of thing we hear today when people try to say, what kind of God is it who would let this happen? A God who loves us and who means business and who's warned us and who we need to take his word far more seriously than what we do. Otherwise, there's going to be consequences. So God knew this was going on, so he had a letter this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent to everybody. Starting with verse 4, here's the letter. Jeremiah wrote, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to, there's that word again, to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, three times now. I've shown you that it's all-inclusive. The exile was all-inclusive. Everyone went into exile. The instruction about obeying and paying attention and listening was to everyone in that kingdom. Because they didn't listen, they all went into exile. And now this letter was sent to all of them in exile. This is what the Lord God Almighty says to all those that carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens. Eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. You know what he's basically saying? No, I said 70 years, and I mean 70 years. And so instead of just sitting there waiting, get to work. Um, build houses. 70 years is a long time. Build houses. Um, plant gardens. You're going to get hungry in 70 years. So plant food. And that one part where I just want to make sure, and that's why I asked you about in question two, do you think that in this letter, God was giving them the green light to just go after anybody you want, marry anybody you want? Not for a second. I found so many scriptures from Leviticus on through 
I mean, actually, it started with Abraham. And when Abraham wanted to get Isaac a wife, he had his, he had his main right-hand man, Eliezer, go pick her out. But he says, go to our country. Do not pick a wife for Isaac from any other country but ours. Now, what would that mean? That doesn't mean he's racist. It doesn't mean that he's against interracial. This is, this is back in the culture of that day. He says, I do not want my people marrying a pagan. And I think that same theme, when I say pagan, I'm saying an unbeliever. And Paul kind of carried that same theme in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where he said, never yoke yourself with an unbeliever. And Paul was really good about explaining, why should we not? Now, that doesn't mean you can't have acquaintances that aren't believers. But he's saying, don't yoke yourself. Don't tie yourself up with an unbeliever. Because it's dangerous. No, it is not safe. Because we are sinful human beings. We are so more apt to go the wrong way. And Paul goes on to say, the reason you do not get yoked with an unbeliever, because you, have the, you don't have a thing in common. You're both going in different directions. You both have totally different Reasons to get up in the morning. You both have different priorities. You, you both have different purposes. You don't have anything in common. Because you're totally going in the opposite direction. So what God started in the Old Testament, being very, very clear about do not marry an unbeliever. It's carried throughout because the chances of you, because there's always that, yeah, but I'm going to win them over. And every once in a while you hear a great story like that. But more than not, because of our natural human pull, that, that gravity pull to sin, and before you know it, it just starts so slyly and, and subtly but before you know it, you're pulled right into, you're sucked right into the world's mold. So when, when this letter was written, I am sure, I'm sure that God was not saying, I free you, you are lo loose to marry whoever you want. I think he was just automatically figuring that they would continue to be obedient to the rules, the laws that were set up. But he's saying, I mean, there was so many, go find, go find in another nation or another territory. He's saying, build houses, plant gardens, keep marrying, keep having children, keep living, keep Keep being a testimony. Keep obeying me. And we saw from our last 12 weeks, we saw that it was possible. How many times did we say, what kept Daniel? 
from not being sucked into after being trained for three years, living in the palace, being put into such high positions, and yet he stayed firm because he studied God's word. He never stopped studying, and then he was willing. He was willing to pray. He had a habit. He started this habit probably as a young boy, and he kept that going. He stayed connected to the Lord Almighty. That's the only way you don't get sucked up into the world's mold. Verse 7, also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Enjoy the freedoms. Pray to the Lord for it. Enjoy the freedom and the prosperity because that will just that will just rub off on you because you will benefit from that city's prosperity. Pray to the Lord for it, though, because if it prospers, you will too. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets, just like we learned in Daniel in the last few weeks, that in the heavenly realms there are messengers of the evil one and there are messengers of God. There were prophets that that taught deceit, lying, as well as there were good prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah and many of them. But these prophets, these were the prophets that were going to try to throw them off. And so the word of the Lord Almighty came and said, do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. See, they were just pawns in the devil's hand to try to go after God's people. Saying, ah, he doesn't mean, who does that sound like? Doesn't that sound like the snake in the garden? Ah, God didn't mean it. He, he didn't. He was just afraid that if you ate this, that you would become like him. Well, that was something Eve wanted to hear. That sure sounded those itching ears of hers like that. So I don't have to listen to that. I don't have to listen to his commands. See, that lying, deceitful enemy will always try to appeal to our flesh. And if we are not strong and have the strength like Daniel, if you don't keep asking God to breathe into you more and more strength and courage and truth, you will get sucked up into it. Because the message that's out there, I guarantee, is the message you do want, you want to hear. Because it's easier. It's comfortable. It appeases you. Do not listen to them. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. That made me smile. That verse made me smile. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. Don't encourage them to keep telling you the stuff you want to hear. Because it's a lie. 
they are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. So this was a letter of warning. They are lying to you. When I say 70 years, I mean it. This is what the Lord says, verse 10. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, no more, no less, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Now, I think you know from looking up Ezra and reading the passage of Ezra, even though some of the people that went back, they, they took with them, the, they had intermarried, and they, I was quite shocked, to, to tell you the truth, when I was reading Ezra, and I saw in chapters 9 and 10 how some of them that did come back came back with foreign wives. And Ezra asked the Lord, and he said, yes, bring them all together who did that, and then separate them. See, it still was, God still says, I do not want my children to marry people who don't believe. And then in the third question, we move on to verse 11 to 14. What is God's plan for his people? Okay, when 70 years are completed, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. I read it like that because was there anything, do you think, between the lines that said, but I don't mean this group or this group can stay back or this group I don't, I don't pay any attention. No, we just heard how God says, you pay attention to me. And this letter was to everybody. And his promise is, I'm bringing you back. Verse 11, for I know. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. See, when the kingdom of Israel was taken into exile by the Assyrians, they were not given this promise. Remember, they were the ten tribes. And they were not from the tribe of Judah, the kingdom of Judah. And so their disobedience just let them stay in exile and in Assyria, and we never heard from them. But here, God says, I know I have plans. I'm bringing you back in 70 years because I know the plans I have for you. And again, the Lord is declaring this. And, and the reason I have plans is to prosper you, not to harm you, Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, how many graduation classes have taken that on for their verse? 
how many of us have wanted to take that verse and claim it for ours. But believe it or not, this verse wasn't meant for us. The principles are, are the same, but this verse was meant in this letter for the kingdom of Judah. And God is saying, I know that I have plans, and that is I'm going to bring you back home, and I'm going to bring a Savior through you. We all know that Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. And God's plan was to bring them back and that Jesus would come through this line. So when he says, I have come to prosper you and not to harm you, he's not saying that life's going to be easy and you're going to just all become wealthy and you're never going to get hurt. Because when I looked at that, I thought, during the exile from what Daniel taught us, especially during the fury of Antichrist Epiphanies, so many of God's people were either hurt, persecuted, or martyred. But when you hear about these words, this is the promise of Jesus when he said that you will prosper. It won't harm you. He's talking about our soul. He's talking about the part of us that will live forever. Because of Jesus, our soul will never die. And then when he says, plans to give you hope and a future. He's saying, I want you, because of Jesus, I want you to live the abundant life. I want you to wake up with joy in the morning, despite what's going on. I want you to get up in the morning knowing that you can live in peace today. Even though there's all kinds of unrest everywhere. I want you to be able to get up in the morning knowing that whatever this day brings You've got a hope and you've got a future because you belong to me. And it's all because of Jesus. Then look at verse 14 or for 13. You, or no, verse 12, sorry. Then you will call upon me. See, he had another reason. He says, after 70 years, it's kind of like, after 70 years of a time out, I, I expect you to have gotten your attention. After 70 years, you will realize what you've done wrong. That you will come to your senses. Then you will call upon me. See, they didn't do that. That's why they were there. But maybe now, after 70 years, you now will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. That word, I hope it just jumps off the page. Because that word all is so all-inclusive. There's no except for. 
He says, you have to seek him with all your heart. And in our today, there's so many that are playing the game of, I will seek the Lord on Sunday or maybe this night I'll, I'll go and do this or maybe I will work for the church on this day or whatever. But then the other days are mine and I have a right to them. I can do what I want, when I want, and how I want, and with whom I want. And God is saying, no, I don't. My terms are altogether different than that. When you seek me with all of your heart, that's when you will find me. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will, there's another I will, I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you. I will gather you from all the nations and places, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Now, is that hard to understand? I don't think so. He's making it very clear that in 70 years, he's going to bring them all back home. It says, from all the nations that I banished you to, and now I'm bringing you all back where? To where you were exiled from, which is the kingdom of Judah, the land of Israel, Jerusalem. So by reading those two passages in, in real slow motion, I hope that you've been able to catch that the word of the Lord came very clear to them about if you don't listen, if you don't pay attention, you're going into exile. But I promise I will bring you back in 70 years. And then the letter that went out to them all, and God's saying, after 70 years, you've learned your lesson. You seek me with all your heart. You will find me. And I will bring you back. I will bring you back home. I'll bring you back home. That is what God's plan. So in question three, I don't think that was such a hard question. What is God's plan for his people? That he go home. That they go home. So in question four, darker letters, because you see, I found out from the book of Ezra how many people went back. Now, I hope that I've made it clear how many people were exiled. We're talking massive amounts of people. And so now... God is saying, I'm bringing you back, but only 42,360 people went back. That's a very small percentage. Less than 50,000 people. When the king, when the ruler of the Persian Empire said, you're all free to go. In fact, let me help you. Let me give you 
lots of things that you're going to need. Let me help you rebuild your temple. I mean, that's unheard of. But yet only less than 50,000 went back. So I couldn't help but ask you this. Why do you think that the majority of people stayed back? There were three waves of people to, con to, to constitute that 42,000. Some went back with Ezra, some went back with Nehemiah, some went back with Zerubbabel. But still, such a small number. Why did the majority of them stay back? When you just heard God, the Lord Almighty, be very clear about his commands, his instructions. It was for all the people. He doesn't want them in this pagan nation. He wanted them there for two reasons. And that is to eventually bring them back, but mostly it was so that they could come to their senses because they had moved so far off the path. So why? Why aren't they, why aren't they coming back? Last night, I had this wonderful man who shouted out right in the glass when I asked that question. Why do you think, why do you think that the majority of them didn't come back. And he said, because they were way too comfortable. They thought they had it so good. And on a human perspective, yeah, they did. Because humanly speaking, who would want to go back to that desolate, crumbled down city with a temple that's in rubble? that needs to be rebuilt, that all sounds like work to me. And then the natural human response is, nah, I think I like it here. I think it's kind of easier here. I think, I think I've just kind of got myself all situated here. When the instructions were so clear. Now, I'll give you, I'll give you a few people. I'll give you a few, because maybe some were just so old that they couldn't begin to think about going those 900 miles. It took four months. And maybe it was just too hard of a trip, but that's it. Maybe, maybe some were just really sick, and they were dying sick. I'll even give you a few of those. But the majority of people stayed. Now, it's just so easy to get comfortable, to start slacking off, to start liking the easy life. And God never intended from them because you could tell from that letter, he wanted them to keep working. He wanted them to keep believing and following his commands, following his laws. But the temptation, if you are not grounded in God's word, it's just too easy to only want to hear what you want to hear. 
Now, I have to say that Tom and I, we went to Lancaster, and we went to see the play, and you know how well they are done there. We went to see the play, Esther. And I was really looking forward to it because I had already started my thinking process already. And so I was really excited to see how they were going to do this. I mean, they did a fabulous job. It was a tremendous production. But to be very honest with you, there's a little bit of fiction in there. They, they put in to the mouths of Mordecai and Esther, they put words that I would have, well, they put in the words that I was so hoping that they would have said. So when I heard it and watched it, I thought, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted them to say. That's exactly who I wanted them to cry out and ask for help. But the thing is, they don't. They don't ask for help. They don't cry out. They added words that aren't in the book of Esther. And I think this is where we kind of then start heroizing two people in this book. Two people that, believe it or not, should, well, I don't think any human being should be heroized and elevated. Because anything we are, anything we have is of the Lord. Because I couldn't help but ask you the question in five, what do you hear? What do you know about the book of Esther? What is very obvious and that is that there's no, there's absolutely no mention or even a referral to God's name. And I think that that's quite serious. I know that many have tried to read between the lines or tried to excuse them. But God's word is God's word and it's not mentioned once. I found something, I believe it or not, I think those who really study, study God's word, and you take this God's word as a just the best puzzle, and you start piecing those puzzles together, those pieces, and then you start seeing clearly. Those who maybe take things out of and, and they just read what they want to read. I think it's just so easy then to try to then desensitize the fact that God's name isn't there. But when I, when I started feeling like this, I thought, you know what? I don't usually do this, but on this particular subject, I'm going to go to certain different preachers or spiritual leaders that I trust. And I wanted to see and hear their take on it. And I was amazed that I'm not the only one. And I thought, why haven't I heard this before? Because one of them wrote this. It's the only book where God isn't mentioned. 
in the New Testament where so many times, so many times, many of the characters of the Old Testament are used for historical reference or examples. Esther and Mordecai, they've never been mentioned again. In, in the Hebrews 11, which we call our, our hall of faith, you'd think when you have a book named after you that they would be in that hall of faith, but they're not. The law is never mentioned, and the law is so important to God's people. The sacrifices, no offerings, nothing like that was mentioned. This fits the view that the Jewish people that were residing in the Persian Empire were not following God's will. And I hope that I made my case by Jeremiah 25. Jeremiah 29, by showing you how many alls are in there. This person even goes on to say they, are, they were shunning their responsibility to return to Jerusalem and become involved in the worship to the Lord Almighty. Prayer is never mentioned. Fasting is but fasting, any Joe Blow can talk about fasting. Prayer and fasting is when you abstain from something because you want what God wants. Prayer is your connection with God. And then I couldn't help, I just did this on my own. I couldn't help but go back and just kind of check on Daniel and I think I want to I want to see the differences between the book of Daniel and the book of Esther because Daniel I mean right from the start he started right off the bat by saying to Nebuchadnezzar I don't have what it takes to tell you your dream and interpret it I don't know how to do that but I know the one who can and will all credit was to the Lord. And remember, after God gave him that insight in chapter 2 of Daniel, he breaks out into praise. Oh, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand before Nebuchadnezzar and said, not even going to debate you on this. We're not doing it. Because our God will either save us or he's got another plan. When Darius decreed and put his stamp on there. Daniel knew it was the lion's den, here I come. But instead of fearing, he opened his windows, he opened his drapes, and, do, and he did what he always did, and that is face home and pray to the one God, the one God that he stayed faithful to. I mean, I just went page after page, chapter after chapter. And God was mentioned all over the place. Daniel made no moves. And I would say, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood before a seven times hotter furnace than normal, 
when Daniel dared walk into the lion's den. They were up against a couple obstacles, and yet they didn't waver. So I just have to ask you to think on those. I think it is time that we take this seriously. So what are we going to discover in Esther? You're just going to love it. You're just going to love it, and it's going to teach you so much. But that last question, that last question I asked you, what is the whole book of Esther about? And maybe you're saying, well, I didn't study it yet. But I think we know enough about the book that we know. And especially when I wrote the last part of the question, who do you think should be the main character? Who is the main character? The main character is usually, and when we get to the last book of Esther, it's just a heartbreaker. Because even at that, the last chapter, after all what they go through, it talks about the greatness of Mordecai. And it talks about let's have a holiday to celebrate Esther. And again, you just want to scream and say, but God did it all. What a fabulous lesson to know that God is still at work. How his grace and his mercy is still going on despite when his name isn't mentioned. And so I asked you a question about how much does God love it when we praise him, acknowledge him? I had you look up passages, Psalm 89, Psalm 107, Psalm 121. It's just so obvious. We could be here till 2 in the morning if I put every verse I wanted to of how much he loves it when we praise him, when we acknowledge who he is. When we get into Revelation, you, you watch the numbers, 10,000s upon 10,000s that are praising him. I'd say he likes it. Psalm 121, you know it. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? See, and the thing is, Esther and Mordecai, you see, I don't totally blame Mordecai and Esther. You know who I kind of blame? I, I blame their parents and their grandparents. And the reason I say that is because I went back to a verse in Judges chapter 2. And I think I've said this many times, but it's so clear to me that if you don't tell, if you don't live out, if you don't show it in your life, what are those kids going to see? If you start getting lax, if you start connecting with the easy way, and you start easing God out a little bit more all the time, oh, you're going to find that they follow rituals in their little homes out of obligation. And 
But the thing is, they weren't the testimony they needed to be because I don't believe that they were supposed to even be there. I think they were all supposed to be home. And what we study in, in Esther, you're going to see that they, Mordecai, Esther, the consequences that they suffered because of this. We'll go through it line by line. But I just wanted you to start thinking about this. Because in Judges chapter 2, it said, after Moses died and then Joshua died, that next generation, that very next generation, never even heard of the Lord. They never even knew about what God did for the, their people, for them. They didn't even know it. Now, whose fault is that? See, the less we make God our priority in our homes with our children, our grandchildren, we have watched in just such a short period of time, we've watched such changes in the family. Because don't you think it would have been exciting to be able to say to your kids back then, boy, do we have a bedtime story tonight. And it's not Hansel and Gretel. And it's not the Three Bears. It's not Little Red Riding Hood. This is a true story. Let me tell you about our people. They, they escaped. They left after 400 years of persecution in Egypt. They left. And they were all million plus people standing before this great Red Sea. And they heard Pharaoh's army. They could feel and sense and hear the hoofs. They knew, they knew that, that they, were, they were doomed. The Red Sea in front of them. Pharaoh's army behind them. And then right before their eyes, God Almighty separated that sea. And God's people, all million plus of them, walked across on dry land. And Pharaoh's army started in that dry area of the Red Sea. But as soon as the last person of God's people put his toe on the shore, the waters came down and Pharaoh's army was drowned. Now, wouldn't that have been an exciting story to be able to pass down? But according to judges, it just takes one generation to get a little lax and get a little lazy, to start putting yourself first. And I don't have time for that. Our family is so busy, we can never sit down together. Everybody's going in different directions. It's all here now. I'm telling you, if you don't pass it down, they're not going to know. And you'll see it get worse and worse. And I think this is what happened here. I think, I think that from generation, from grandparent to parent or whatever, they started getting too comfortable. They thought they had it too good. And maybe, even maybe, they were feeling a tinge of guilt 
Now, guilt is supposed to bring you back to where you need to be. But a lot of times people will use guilt and try to ignore. Or let's not talk about it. Let's not go there. I don't want to go back to that desolate place. So let's just not even talk about the Lord Almighty. That's darn dangerous territory. So, like I said, you're going to love it. You're just going to love it. But I think we're going to see places in there that it would just been so wonderful if they had known him and trusted him so much like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that they would have dared stand up and admit that they were Jews right from the start, that they would admit that they served one God, God, the Lord God Almighty. And I think they would have seen what God would have done. However, we have such a God of grace and mercy. And yes, he could have used the remnant of 42,000. But because his, his love endures forever, he saved his people. And he saved it through two people that I don't think even totally realized it. That God was doing it through them. Because unfortunately, at the end of the book, they stay there. They never do go home. kind of something that we have to think about. And I hope you do. Heavenly Father, thank you for this lesson. Father, we, we know that that it's maybe sometimes it's, it's hard to take our Sunday school stories and we don't mean to puncture a hole in it, but we want truth. We want to learn we want to see your greatness. We do want to see your grace and mercy. We want, we want to hear how you can take even disobedience out of your will and still, still use us. But Lord, we know that that book is in there to show yourself. You are the hero. You are the main character. And when you do choose to use us, like Daniel, may we give you all the credit. May we cry to you. Like in Psalm 91, when the, when the psalmist said, because he has focused his love on me. The psalmist writes, the Lord will deliver him. The Lord will protect him because he knows his name. When he or she calls out to the Lord, the Lord will answer. And the Lord will be with him or her in their distress. Father, those people then knew the Proverbs. They knew the Psalms. Because in the timetable, it was far after. Father, may we not in ignorance 
when we are when we you when you give us the feeling of guilt may we come running to you when we're not living the way we're supposed to when we've stepped out of your will when it's very clear what direction you want us to go father help us not to just take the easy way that we're willing to work and put in the effort when you instruct us to do so you are worth it May your name be praised. May we always give you the credit for what you are doing through us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.